This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 10 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life. Exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Esberg, Denmark, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, Heather. How are you this week? I'm doing great, Chris. Taught a clinic this weekend and just got all jazzed up about it because everyone <laughs> just did so well and was so appreciative. So that always gives me more energy. And that was this weekend. And uh, then I got back to ride Paragon today and makes me even happier. Well, How have you, you been? Get... I know you had a busy weekend. Uh, yep, yeah, we did. We had a very, very busy weekend at Young Rider Championships here in the Kentucky Horse Park, and we're going to be joined by Reese Coughler-Stanfield today, who uh, was over there in the park, and she's going to join in that conversation. And we thought we'd take advantage of, of having Reese on board. Um, although not a young rider herself, she's been through the ranks, so uh, not as young as she was, but nonetheless still our young person and our featured rider of the year. And so she's going to join us and share her experiences of what she saw at Young Riders this week. And then we're going to just have a general chat about youth dressage. So that's the show for this week, Heather. We thought we'd uh, just enjoy talking about young people today and uh, how they enjoy the sport of dressage. Uh, Well, I'm looking forward to it because I've been out of the country long enough. I really don't know who's coming up in strong riding over there in the Young Riders. So I'm I'm looking very forward to what Reese has to say about that. (laughs) Well, the great thing is there's so many young people. There's so much talent out there that they're going to keep you oldies on your toes, you know. (laughs) That's good for us. (laughs) But before we get to that, um, we just want to talk about the results out of uh, Europe this weekend. You know, it was the World Dressage Masters at Hickstead in England this past weekend, Heather. And some great results. Not only was a record broken by Edward Gall with Morland's Totilas, he he reached 89.4. How about that for a score? That is just extraordinary, and I have a feeling that he deserved every single point of it, too, knowing how he did at uh, his last few competitions. So, man, I wish I could have seen that. I'm sure it'll be up on YouTube or something soon. Right. Well, um, not only not only did, uh, as I say, he broke the one re- world record, he beat Parseval and uh, Adeline Cornelison. You know, she, uh, you know, she had a, a bit of time on the sidelines there with Parseval after the World Cup finals in Vegas. Uh, but she's back in action. wasn't quite as sweet as it it might have been for her. I've heard a few comments about he just wasn't quite, you know, where where he could be. But nonetheless, she made it into second place there in the in the Kerr on eighty two point two. So uh, at least a, which is said, nothing to sneeze at, is it? Nothing to sneeze at. No, I mean the, <laughs> you know, the commentators will always pick holes, but you know, <laughs> you get into the right. 80s. <laughs> I think you know you just yeah, have I'll such a it. you have such a high standard over there, Heather. Yeah, it's a tough, tough field, and it's just getting tougher and tougher and just more and more amazing to watch. So she must be at least, you know, really back strong enough to still be quite impressive. 
Well, certainly competitive, and uh, she beat Laura Bechtensheimer, you know, the, the British rider, on Mr. Horace. Uh, she finished in third place on 81.8. And then uh, Sunrise uh, back in the picture there in fourth place, Heather. Yeah, good for Imke. I know that, that she's had some downtime with Sunrise, hasn't she? She has, yes. She's, she's been on the sidelines for a while, so it's good to see her back on the leaderboard. And uh, Canadian uh, Ashley Holzer with Pop Art, a very uh, popular combination there. They came in fifth. Um, so I think that that's that's a very competitive and much sought-after competition now, this World Dressage Masters, Heather. Good prize money. Good prize money, yeah. That really draws them for all, from all corners of the world, and um, as it should. I mean, there's so little prize money out there in our field of dressage, so it's great to have it. And you know, look at the look at the the quality of competitors that and horses that it takes to each competition. Well, there are five competitions in that series, aren't there? Yes, I believe so. Um, yeah, and all very nice venues. And then um, we're delighted to report that we had three Americans in on on the winning podium at at Hickstead too. Leslie Morse got tip tap tip top back at the top of the podium there in the special at the World Dressage Masters in Hickstead with a seventy one point six six seven. Uh, but that's a good win for her, Heather, because she beat Akis Escapado with Hans-Peter Minderhut. Yeah, good job to Leslie. We're proud of that for sure. Escapado is a really strong competitor, lots of miles on and lots of good scores and under his belt. And so that's super for Leslie to have done so well there. And, um, yeah, then Catherine, um, our other American rider, Catherine Haddad on Maximus was uh, in there too. And I think number eight there in the special. And um, she was also riding Cadillac and um, in the CDI tour there. And so that's not the Masters tour, but it's another Grand Prix tour. And she was first both in the Grand Prix and the special. So um, that's quite an accomplishment. Very proud of her. And I'm sure she's just um, super happy, especially after her disappointment at Aachen um, last month. So really congratulations to everybody there. Um, of course, especially our American riders. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, those of you who follow the Dressage Radio Show we know, will know that Catherine was on the show just a few weeks ago and uh, shared with us her expectations for the rest of the year. And so, as you say, Heather, she must be delighted with that after Aachen to get back in, in the on top of the leaderboard there with the, that horse. She got into 70.51 in the Grand Prix and 69.667 in the Special. Uh, so... A really good show for her. She's really picking her shows now. Yeah, um, she's doing. She's she's doing really well. So can't wait to get the the personal feedback from her. I got to call <laughs> her in a few days. <laughs> there you go. She's. I know she's a good friend of yours. You'll be calling her and getting getting the scoop behind that, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, terrific. Well, we are going to take a short break here uh, for a commercial, and then we'll come back and uh, have Reese Koffler join us and talk about the young riders. So stay tuned. It is fantastic to have our friends at Equestrian Life as the title sponsors for the Dressage Radio Show. If you have not been to Equestrian Life yet, you need to go. In addition to being the official social community for the Horse Radio Network, it is one of the fastest-growing horse communities on the Internet. It is truly the Facebook for horse people. The goal of EquestrianLife.com is to bring equestrians together and to provide them with the breadth and depth of information and tools they need to learn and connect with other horse lovers who share the same passion. EquestrianLife.com is a fun, inviting website that strives to provide its members with a world-class experience that fosters the expression of all the ways people enjoy their horses 
and the people who are part of the horse world. EquestrianLife.com's social media platform provides users with cutting-edge applications and tools, such as people and horse profiles, social Q&A, status updates, messaging, photo uploading, groups, comments, blogs, expert high-definition videos, directories, birthday reminders, alerts, messaging, and on and on and on, in addition to their partnership with the Horse Radio Network. This community is designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. Ride on over to Equestrian Life today, sign up for free, and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, equestrianlife.com is the place to be. Well, again, thanks to our sponsors. We're delighted to have them on board and make this possible. And we must mention, of course, Equestrian Life, who are official social network of the Horse Radio Network. And I also want to mention that we were filming with Equestrian Life all week at the uh, North America Junior and Young Rider Championships at the Kentucky Horse Park. And you can follow the video coverage that we did there. And we picked, Heather, we picked a, um, a, a rider from each of the disciplines to follow. And How fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and we just mixed it up. We had two boys, two girls, juniors, and young riders, and our featured dressage rider was Elise uh, Carbone from Region 6, from Gig Harbor, Washington. She rode a lovely gray horse called Navarro, and so we followed her through the competition, and uh, all her videos will be already on, actually, on equestrianlife.com, and uh, I thought we'd have her on the show uh, in the future, Heather. Just be fun to follow her because she's now has, she now has her sights set on the Brentina Cup. Well, that'll be great fun to watch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out right away. All right. Well, before we go any further, we're going to get uh, Reese on the line here with us, and, and uh, she's going to share her experiences of the young riders at the horse, horse park this week. Reese. Hi, Kristen Heather. How are you? Hi, Reese. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to have Good you to on hear the show, from you, Reese. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me again. Well, we, we, you had a busy week there over at the horse park. Um, um, a lot of young people flying around on those golf carts. <laughs> it was. It was crazy over there. It was, it was a lot of fun, and um, I have to be a little jealous because sister and I, Lindsay, we did Young Riders Between Us nine times, and none of which were in our hometown of Lexington, Kentucky. So it's <laughs> nice to it's nice to see that the, the all the young people are here at the horse park and um, at a great great venue. And um, I think this this week, as we all know, that the horse park is undergoing a lot of construction. So uh, everyone was was very very great with all the trucks and everything going on. I think that was everyone had to be very flexible, but it was a it was a good learning experience for us all and. It will just bring even better things for the young riders next year. And very competitive it was. Uh, I, I was amazed, Reese and, and, and Heather, I think you, you would be envious at the quality of horses uh, for these young people. Absolutely. It's amazing. Uh, you know, it, it's really changed, uh, not, not to date myself too much, but uh, it's been a few years since, since I did Young Riders, and, and I can really see the difference in the horses and the quality of the riding. It's so exciting to, to see that and, and see how we've all kind of grown and, and developed over the years. 
And uh, I was, I, I actually scribed with Lois Eukins on Thursday. Um, so it's nice to kind of get the judge's perspective from C. And I scribed for the junior class. And um, I, I kind of came in because I figured uh, all the people that have scribed for me over the years, I wanted to kind of give back a little bit and, and, and watch it really from the judge's perspective. And, and it was really, really exciting. Those, everybody was, it did so well. And uh, I, I know how they felt because I've been in their shoes. But but um, the big smiles on their faces, and, and they came in and read their test quite well. Yeah, and, uh, and did you learn any tricks and tricks and, and secrets from the judges' box then? <laughs> well, you know, overall, I would say that the biggest thing, and I think it comes with age, and, and probably the, the riders were all better. Uh, everyone was a little bit tight with the horses' necks. They were a little bit tight on the curb rein and, and just a little bit nervous. And so hopefully they, they got some experience. Uh, the junior ranks, it's a new – I never uh, – juniors was – the program itself uh, did not exist when I went through. Um, when my sister Lindsay, who's four years younger, it, it, she came through. But I could, I could really see the difference as you kind of grow and you get used to going in such a big ring with all the pressure and the five judges and the stands. As you get a little older and a little more used to the whole environment, you, you learn to just – lighten up a little bit and, and be a little bit more relaxed. That was kind of the one kind of theme that, that the judges talked about. But um, several of the top riders were, were very good, and, and, and that wasn't the issue. Well, that raises a, a good question for Heather. You know, when, when a young rider has that kind of uh, pressure and nerves going into a new uh, arena, such as, I mean, in the stadium at the horse park there, you know, even though it may not be packed with people in the stands, it's still a big occasion for these young people, and there's naturally going to be some tension in their body. What would you say to them as they're going in? How, where would you, uh, where would you advise them to try and relax? Would that be in their core body? Would that be in their shoulders, in their arms? Where would you try and instill a little bit of uh, stillness, if you will? Well, that's a good question, Chris. And I think, um, you know, e each rider that's going in, if they have, um, you know, tension issues, nervousness there, each one of them is going to probably demonstrate that in different places in their body. It could be a normal one might be shoulder tension or they might get tight in the legs or the hands or something. But I think in general, to talk about the, you know, the, t the, the fact that they are tense is, is to me um, – a matter of getting them to get into a, a focus kind of that they hopefully are used to getting into whether they're in the competition ring or not. Um, you know, I teach a lot about getting into a, an internal focus in, in detail, sometimes in less detail, but sometimes in more, but practicing that kind of a mindset that you can get into and kind of block the rest of the world out um, in regular training. I think horses should do it too. And um, I think if you can practice getting into that at home and getting in sort of and out of it that you can also prompt riders at competitions to try to get into that internal focus also where external things can vanish as much as possible and you know maybe then tension results like tight shoulders or tight legs or pulling on the reins or whatever happens not breathing or something hopefully those kind of things can go away if you just can make your, your external world go away too it's kind of what i would uh, I'd try to go for. 
Okay. Well, I think uh, this is a topic of greater interest, you know, for maybe a longer session one day. But I, uh, but I do want to pick it up again, Heather, because there are so many aspects of that. I think that could help young people as they prepare for the bigger occasions as they go through their career. Uh, um, but uh, to mention the juniors, uh, Reese, I know you were there for the juniors, and uh, the team gold medal went to un- Ontario, Canada. Uh, then the Region 3 won the silver medal, and the bronze medal went to Region 1. Were there any rides there that really caught your eye? Well, I, uh, I had a, uh, a rider from Region 1. Um, actually, it was a horse that I trained as a young horse. And it was really fun to see him in the big ring. And he was actually the first horse of the day, and, and his name is Kavari. And um, it was really great to see him in the big ring, and, and it really made me smile, remembering um, how far he's come from being a, a four-year-old and five-year-old in my barn to, to being a big, a big boy in, in the arena. So that was really exciting. That's good. And, and really watching all the all the riders really everyone came in and and it was really fun to see them as as they settled into the test and 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 got to got to uh you know going going through the test they did really well and nicole del giorno and lamborghini were the the gold medalists in the freestyle and uh, that was uh, another another medal to add to the team bronze that she won uh, and she finished ahead of uh, megan lane and caravella they won the silver medal and behind them um, was um, Heather Otts and Vera Kai. Did you know any of those medalists at all, Reese? I have seen a few of those medalists. Um, the gold medalist I had, uh, uh, she had ridden. Uh, I think she went to Gladstone. I can't remember if it was Florida or Gladstone. So it was, it was fun to see a bunch of the girls. Um, they had, they had kind of followed, followed the whole path of. Uh, I met them at the West CDI in March, and then they, they again went to Gladstone um, in New Jersey, and in the end of June, and then they, they went to, uh, came here to Kentucky. So it's fun to see them from kind of develop from the West CDI going into the big ring there into the big ring um, at Gladstone, which is a whole whole different atmosphere, and then here in Kentucky in the brand new stadium. So I think as they went through, they really um, got more educated, and um, you could see them settling into the test a lot better. And uh, that was fun to see them develop uh, through those different venues. Well, in the in the young riders, it was the Region Seven that picked up the gold medal. There, um, they beat uh, Region Two with, for, to uh, into second place, and the bronze medal went to Region Three. And the individuals, um, Cassandra Bateau and uh, GP Raymaster, they took gold there. Uh, so they they had a good they had a very good week, in fact. Um, so, uh, were there any of those that uh, you were you know about, uh, and you've watched I, at I, all? I, I, I do know Cassie. Um, I, I actually I rode on the Region Two team four times, and so I always kind of root uh, a little bit for the Region Two team for sure for my for my home team. So I was really excited for them to win the silver medal. And um, I've seen Cassie. She's from Chicago, so I have seen her grow up from the time she rode juniors into the into the top of the young rider division. So it's it's been a really fun adventure to watch her grow up and to see her on. on on that big stallion, he's beautiful, and she just does a phenomenal job with him. 
So, um, so I was, I was keeping my eye and kind of rooting for region two, um, <laughs> and, and very excited. And, uh, region, region seven, the California region and region two, we always seem to kind of flip back and forth with the medals. So I was, I was excited to see that they were on, on top as well. So, um, that was, that was a really fun, fun thing for us. And, um, uh, really excited for Cassie. Some friendly rivalry there, huh? Yes, exactly, exactly. I'm sure mm-hmm. if you talked from someone from California, they would say the, the same thing, just in reverse. Uh, and <laughs> Heather, which region were you in when you were here at home? Well, uh, I was in Colorado when I started riding in dressage, and I think that's region five, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and then when I moved from there to um, Louisiana, which is region nine. So, um, but I never did young riders. It was not something, I, I wasn't at that level of competition when I was that age. So, um, I didn't get to go through all of what these young riders are going through. And um, I don't know how that would change where I am now as a 40-year-old in my life. But um, I'm sure it would have been really beneficial and helpful and amazing experience. Reese, I was wondering if um, you get a feel for what the sportsmanship is like at these competitions and between regions and is it, do you feel like it's fairly friendly and supportive of each other or is it a little competitive and cutthroat sort of what is it like between these young riders? <laughs> well, when we did it, you know, we were, we were always a, a great team and, and, and certainly the team competition day, you know, it's a little cutthroat, maybe, maybe more than, than it would be, um, you know, in, in the other uh, the, kind of the senior ranks. But um, really, after the team competition, what's fun about young riders are there are a lot of social events and, and you know, there are ice cream parties and golf cart races and decorating your stalls. And so there's a lot of kind of fun social events. So after, you know, that the one team day, I think people really lighten up and, and, and have great friends. And, and that is one thing that I, that I have found um, kind of going through the young rider ranks. And then um, I kind of missed uh, the Brentina Cup, actually, the the young rider, the young adult Grand Prix, um, they changed the age right after I aged out. So it's now 28 and I'm 29 now. So I missed it by a year. Um, but the friendships that I've made through the program has been the most beneficial thing for me. I, I have friends now. Um, I, I feel comfortable calling, you know, uh, fellow riders in California or Colorado, uh, Kansas, and and we know each other from the program. And as young professionals, that that ability to network and know people that you meet at Young Riders really follows you through your career. And that's been for for me the most beneficial, uh, or one of the most beneficial things that have happened through the program is just yeah. the friendships and, and the networking that that I've been able to make. So so maybe on the day it's a little cutthroat, but but really really in the in the end um, it, it's it's been a great part of my and, and very helpful in my business and career. I think that that's really important and super that they make sure that at that at that age that everyone is still really having a good time and learning how to kind of cut loose a little bit and let some of the pressure down. Because if it all becomes too serious at, at too young of an age, I think then you could miss out on, on, like you said, the part where what you enjoy most is what you get out of it in just in your life in general. 
And um, exactly. I could imagine, you know, being really competitive at an earlier age could do really great things, and it can also maybe make you too serious too soon, forget to laugh, yeah. <laughs> forget to take it all in stride, to, you know, forget to keep it all just realistic. So I think that's great that they make sure that there's still fun activities and reasons for everybody to get together and, and be able to talk without, you know, a competitive situation. So that's a great idea exactly. for them. Well, I, it reminds yeah. me of uh, some years ago, I know many of you will remember Lucinda Green, a well-known event rider, very successful event rider at, at, right at the top level. And she, she said years ago to young people, we must never forget that we do it for fun. Mm. And exactly. I, and I think that, that element is, is, is ever-present at, at, at young riders. And Coming away from this competition, having spent a week there filming them and following the four riders that we did, um, I think the Young Riders competition is going to be now one of my favorite, if not my favorite, competition of all time. And I've covered pretty much all of them, <laughs> you know, right up to <laughs> Olympics. And this, this is just so much fun. And we talked to Lindsay Jordan. I'm sure you know, Reese, Lindsay Jordan, the rainer yes, from Georgetown. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. local girl here. And uh, it, we spend a few minutes with her talking about all the non-competitive activities that you you riders get up to at, at Young Riders, and and they right. had Heather, you would love this. They had uh, a list that they were given in their package because <clears throat> I wondered if this came from the chef to keeps, you know, to just try engender the, you know the team camaraderie and team spirit and all that. But no, it came in the show packet. It was a list of she, I don't know how many. She said there was there was so many you couldn't get through all these ideas like a scavenger hunt. And and, oh, wow. and and it was so much fun. They had to do all kinds of things. Like they had to find surprise their chef to keep and, and tip water over him. They had to obviously decorate <laughs> the golf cart. They uh, and Lindsay's uh, golf cart. She had on the front of it free hugs. <laughs> <laughs> and so as they were driving around, people would stop them. <laughs> and if there were, you know, all of the team members on the cart, they had a lot of fun with it. But she was saying she's a tad shy. And, uh, and and so it wasn't as easy for her, especially if she was on the golf cart on her own. But they got up to all kinds of things, uh, uh, which I think speaks to to your point, uh, you guys, about about, you know, not taking yourself too seriously at that young age. And not getting too intense about the sport. Yeah, that's not healthy for that yeah. age or even adult age. <laughs> Just, yeah, it always needs to be fun, and it always needs to be something you can you can laugh at the end of the day. Exactly. I mean, I have to say, as, as a as a a little bit older and looking back um, on on the whole event, it's it's. It changes your perspective a little bit from the time that we were preparing for young riders to to now, and and that is, it really do remember to to laugh and have a good time, and and it seems at the moment as is kind of the the most important thing in the world, and and I think as you get older, you learn uh, your your perspective changes a little bit. So definitely have a good time, meet meet great people, and and keep in touch with them. Yeah, good lesson. Uh, uh, lots of lessons, I think, to come out of this competition, um, guys. And, and, and it really speaks to, to, to youth and the broader subject of youth in dressage. And I'd like to just have, have a little uh, exchange about this because when they go from young riders, I mean, if you, if you were lucky and you started in Pony Club, and I was going to ask you, Reese, did you go through Pony Club? I, I did not, actually. I, I can't jump a stick 
So in, in, in my days, um, you had to jump to get a rating. And, you know, everyone said, well, you can just, just you know, fudge it. And, and no, no, I, I can't really cannot jump a horse, really. I can do cavalettis, but that's about it. So, so I did not do Pony Club only for my lack of jumping talent. And and for those riders that went through young for pony club and then got into young riders and 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 then onwards and upwards, what uh, the youth program in in this country? Do you think it 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 is all encompassing? I think it is. I think it's it's an it's really an amazing program and and from pony club to juniors to young riders uh, on into the young adult program and the Brentina Cup. If you really go through those programs, I, I didn't get to go through all of them, but I went through several of them, and, and I really feel like it, it, it prepared me on so many levels uh, to be a high-performance rider and, and kind of be a, a, uh, more prepared for kind of the things that happen once you get into the high level of sport. And, and without having having just my experiences going into the big rings, the pressure, kind of learning what it's like to go through a, a tough week of competition in, in a qualifying season. Uh, I wouldn't, I would not be the same rider that I am today. And, and I think it's, it's really an amazing, amazing way uh, and program. And for riders, there's so many trainers and, and people that want to help and, and want to be a part of, of the rider's career from the time that they're, you know, sitting on ponies at Pony Club to the time that, that you graduate all the programs and, and, and they become lifelong kind of advisors and friends. And I saw some, some great trainers. I saw Jeremy uh, Steinbrenner from California. He actually won Young Riders. And uh, we were we were sitting in the tent, uh, joking uh, on how we've grown up and, and how life has changed now that we're we're the trainers of the group. And George Williams um, and and uh, Kathy Morelli. So a lot of trainers come to young riders and are excited to help um, all all the riders from from little siblings to parents and and helping them get through and really guiding all the all the young riders. Well, actually that. Uh, um, you mentioned uh, Jeremy. He was the chef to keep, of course, for uh, Elise Carbone from Gig Harbor, Washington. She was our featured rider on Equestrian Life. And so I caught up with Jeremy and talked about that. So there's an interview there on equestrianlife.com with Jeremy. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned all the different uh, chef to keeps. And that, I think, applies to all the disciplines. And, uh, you know, you could go through the eventers and you'd find Mike Huber and uh, John Williams and, you know, a lot of the top riders there, uh, some of them still competing. But, uh, you know, having gone through it themselves, they really enjoy the opportunity to come back and share their knowledge and experience with young riders. Exactly, and I and I think everyone's willing and and happy to do it, and and want want to be a part of it. So, Reese, when you were going through the program um, in your peers that you remember and and stay in touch with, um, do you think most of them are going on to a career like you are? Are they sticking with it? Are they are they becoming um, young professionals like you, or have some of them that you know gone other directions? What do you um, What are you seeing with with them? I think it's it's kind of a split, actually. You know, I think some riders have have grown up now and are married and and have a family, and then other riders are are still um, riding. Maybe not professionally. Maybe they went on to to university and 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 have a job, kind of not in the horse 
Rina, and then several of them we stay in touch and uh, we're great friends. And uh, for example, uh, my sister is is uh, in a career now in my father's uh, office. Uh, she's cha- changing her career and and doing horses more more as a hobby. Um, and uh, I'm I'm still friends with the Poulin sisters. We were we were both a group of sisters that went through. So you know, being friends and seeing the Poulins, and uh, my friend Heidi Basler and I, we talk uh, literally on a weekly basis. And these are all people that that I met through the program. And some are professional riders, some are professional riders, and 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 getting master's degrees. And my sister, you know, is an amazing rider, and 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 she's working really hard on her certification. So I think it's really split, but we all have such a common bond and a common uh, interest in the horses that even even if someone is is out of out of the horses, maybe uh, in respect of being a professional. Um, it's still an amazing thing that, that we share. Well, I, I just, you know, I look forward to or really hope that most of them do go on and become professionals if they gain so much experience and valuable knowledge and, you know, things that they can give on to the next generation that comes up. And we also have to kind of think about where our next trainers and instructors are going to come from too. And we have to keep renewing that supply as, as well as, you know, competitors and riders. But, you got to think that these riders have to be the ones that also fill the shoes um, for trainers um, and educators that retire and need to be. We need to re, you know, resupply that also. So I'm I'm really hoping that that if they do go to university and edu- you know educate themselves in other ways that they come back to it and you know give what they've gotten back to riders that are coming up behind them. That, that's a you know, just want it to continue and and um, kind of keep keep renewing. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I think it really, I think it really is, and and just being able to 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 look back now at the next generation, kind of the next group that's coming up, is has been really fun to watch, for sure. And I think yeah. what's inspirational um, in this country, you know, th- and, and uh, Heather, you will appreciate this from a European perspective, is the is the quality of dressage, the standard now that we've raised. You know, it wasn't that many years ago that we'd hard be, be hard pressed to put together a competitive senior team. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I agree with that too. Um, I mean, it was non-existent when I was seventeen, eighteen in my area. Of course, I was in Kansas, so it wasn't. You know, it still isn't. You know, the the most um, intense dressage com- competition. But when I was there, it was really non-existent. <laughs> and and I'm not that old, so it's not that long ago. <laughs> but um, you know, it's um, it has really grown a lot in a pretty quick quick time. How much quality, um, both in horses and riding. I think you know, definitely agree with you on that. Well, I want to um, just segue here nicely into to the horse and the quality of the horses. What really impressed me with was the quality of young horses, not not just the old school masters that you know. And there were some riders in actually in all the disciplines that had um, acquired an old school master that had been brought up through the ranks. And and I think that's a wonderful way to to get into uh, you know to advance your career for a, as a young person. And there were there were a few of those. But there were also horses that had been with their rider a little bit longer, and they had, they had actually trained them themselves. But the overall quality, Reese, was just amazing. 
it is, and, and really, in, in the probably, uh, it's been about six or seven years since my sister did Young Riders. Um, the quality is is so much better, and and I I really I I was amazed sitting in in the judges booth, even with the juniors, the horses that have come through now, uh, they're amazing. I mean, they, the horses that are kind of now in the junior ranks would have been kind of the quality of horses. When I did Young Riders, they were kind of in the Young Rider ranks, you know, so they've, it's really just stepped it up a notch, and the Young Rider horses are phenomenal. And uh, I, I agree. I, I, when, when my sister and I went through, actually, um, I went when I was 16 and 17 on, on kind of the older schoolmaster. I kind of went through the ranks and, and, and did it with him, and same thing happened with my sister. She had a wonderful um, old schoolmaster, and then... I, uh, I took a, a couple years off and I went to Germany uh, with my horse Yuri and, and trained him from first level. And then when I was 20 and 21, I rode him in, in the Young Riders. So it was a horse that I had trained um, from, from a lower level. So it was, it was a great experience to have had the experience on the schoolmaster and then being able to train my horse and know what the expectation was. For, for him as a young rider horse. So um, I was able to kind of have that experience. And, and young riders, I think, is five years. Is it five or six years and, and from 16 to 21? So you have a lot of time to grow, and, and I think you really see that from the 16-year-old, 17-year-olds on into the, to the older 21-year-olds. Your development really changes through that time, and it's a, it's a, it's a neat thing to watch develop. And that actually raises the question I was going to ask both of you. Uh, in terms of training, when you're in the coming into juniors and you're making your way then into young riders and on through your career, do you think it's possibly necessary that you need to move with the level of trainer that you have? I mean, one trainer might be good at, at the lower levels but can't quite take you up through the ranks and... Uh, you, while, you, while you might have started with somebody and you know, have a loyalty to them, it, it might be a hard decision to think, okay, well, I've really outgrown you now. I need to find someone who can take me up to the next level. How do you, how, when you're, you both train, how do you find that ev- that evolves naturally? Hmm. You, well, you want to answer that yeah. one, Reese? <laughs> sure. I can. I, I, I have had that happen. I have had that happen myself. And it, it, it is a, it is a hard, sticky kind of situation. And, and, um, you know, as I, as I went through your needs kind of do change, um, from the time that you're, you know, 14 to the time that you're 21. And, and then I, I think it also does that as you go into the Grand Prix ranks or the Brentina Cup and then the Grand Prix, and it's and it's hard and and I think as a as my own you know as an instructor I really try to um, be sensitive to that be sensitive to all my students' needs. Um, I would always say that that keeping the lines of communication open is is a very important thing to do. Um, and and I think and Heather I think you'll probably think the same and and I I provide a service just like any other professional. And I want to provide the best service and the best thing that I can do for someone. But if I, I can't provide that service, um, I, I would love to, to help that person get on to where, where they want to do, where they want to go. You know, I, I'm lucky that I can kind of, I can train through Grand Prix level. Um, and I've had the experience to do that. But I think a lot of trainers, uh, don't, but that doesn't limit 
they're, uh, it doesn't mean they're a bad instructor. It just means that there are times in your career where you need to, to move on. And uh, I always think of doing that with op- open communication and, and, and trying to not hurt the person's feelings, but just being really open and honest. And hopefully they'll take that as uh, helping you find that next level of instructor. Yeah, you're right, Reese. And I think, you know, I think really good and confident instructors don't make their students feel like um, there would be a huge disappointment uh, if they did need to switch, just change gears a little bit, get with somebody else. Maybe it's just a matter of clicking with a certain style. Um, I think there's plenty of trainers that have complete knowledge to get all the way to a championship at Grand Prix, but still might not have a method or a teaching style that, that works for a particular student. And, um, you know, I try really not to make my students feel like I would be disappointed if they left, but that I would encourage them to do what they need to do to get where they want to get. And, um, you know, I know in my career that, I mean, I have probably more students than I could get to per day, and I have to make sure that I don't overdo it because there's a lot of students looking for a lot of information. So if another, if one student has to move on, there's another one that'll come for information. And um, I could recommend to anyone listening that if you know if you feel like you're told not to look elsewhere, um, that might be a little bit of a red flag. And that I think you should be encouraged to keep your eyes open for the world of dressage, not your just your local environment of dressage, but look throughout the world what's happening and keep checking in with what's going on in your small world by, I think, comparing it to what's going on in the globe. And the more you do that, I think the more you will really stay going in a direction that is probably the best for you if you just keep your eyes open. And, and I, I know a number of uh, trainers, whether personally or just from pretty far away, um, that do tell their students that they are not allowed to go anywhere else. And it's almost a rule. And, and I just, I don't think that's right. And a student should be the one that they are number one in their life and they should have their own rules and, and rights to do what they want to do. So, um, you know, I would just watch out for that kind of a training situation if it's happening to anyone listening that you think about that and, and just you use your own decisions. If you think it's right, if you don't think it's right, if it's not, you know, search for what you want. There's a lot of information out there. And, and if you just, if you keep looking, you'll, you'll find what clicks with you and you've got to do it. Life, you know, dressage, especially in life and horses, life too short to waste time. And, um, or to be unfair to either one. So, well, of course, and I also, people change coaches in in all sports, don't they? Exactly. I suppose so. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think as a junior and, and as a young person before, um, as kind of a, a newly married person and, and starting a business here in Lexington, um, I, my opportunity to uh, go away for training it gets more difficult as you get older. And I think as from, you know, I was able from 16 to, to 21, 23, uh, I went all over the world. You know, I really went to the trainer. I, I didn't just go to my trainer in, in my town. I went, I, I lived in Pennsylvania for a few summers. I lived in North Carolina. Uh, I went to Germany twice. Uh, you know, you have the ability, if you'll work hard, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's easy to go and, and work for someone. And, and there are a lot of bumps in the road. 
but you have the ability to do that and, and take your horse. And, and I, I know Heather who probably takes people and, and I take people and, and I, I really want my young people to work hard, but we'll laugh and we'll have a good time and, and it'll be a great adventure that we'll be on together. And you learn a lot about horse care. Uh, I learned a lot of how maybe I wouldn't run a business and a lot of how I would. Uh, so I think it's really the time in your life that you can do that. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily, um, have to cost a lot of money. You work hard and you can work. So, so that, that's always my advice to people too, is, is maybe, uh, a, a small town, uh, in the middle of the country and it's not a lot of dressage. If you really go to shows and you find a trainer that you like and, or you see, um, nationally or internationally, somebody you want to work for, you can make that happen. Well, I can certainly attest to that, Reese. You know, my career um, was all over the world, literally, and I was privileged to train with some of the best people in the three Olympic disciplines, some of the top riders, Olympians, um, and and really well-known trainers who uh, gave me such a different perspective all, of all aspects of the horse, you know, not just the discipline and actual riding and training, but the management and everything that goes along along with that and and I certainly had no privilege I had to work my way through my career and uh, you know there was no there was no money to back me um, but I think the message here and is what you're saying Reese is you can as a young person as youth coming into the sport you can make your way very successfully if you have the determination and the ambition exactly exactly well, I think that's a really positive note to round up this uh, chit-chat today, girls. I think it's been a lot of fun, Reese, having you on and uh, getting your perspective on youth in dressage and the young riders. And I think we're going to have more of these kinds of conversations on the Dressage Radio Show. So thanks again for joining us and spending this time. And uh, good luck with whatever you're doing next. We're going to catch up and we keep talking about having lunch. And I think we better do that, Reese. That sounds great. And thanks for having me. And Heather, good luck with everything. And I'll see you soon, Chris. Thanks, Reese. Thank you so much, Reese. Okay. Take care. Okay. Well, we're going to take a small break here now after that, Heather, and uh, hear from our sponsors before we get into our listeners' emails. Well, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we talk a lot about Kentucky Performance Products, and that's because they are a name you can trust to give you the most value for your supplement money. Kentucky Performance Products offer supplements designed to target specific problems and are made with high-quality ingredients included at effective levels. The company's supplements are intended to complement, not compete, with your dressage horse's current feeding program, guarding against over-supplementation, and each product is backed by sound research and the money-back satisfaction guarantee. And today we'd like to talk to you about Nalox, the original equine antacid. It's recommended by veterinarians and leading horsemen as a way of maintaining a healthy stomach, which reduces the risk of ulcers. Nalox can be given daily to horses exposed to stressful conditions or as needed when shipping, competing, or during stall confinement. You know, you can learn about Nalox and all the products at Kentucky Performance Products at KPP. USA.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at KPPUSA.com. Well, that was a lot of fun talking to Reese, wasn't it, Heather? You know, she, she really does have that youthful insight to the sport. She does. She's got such a 
bubbly personality. She's a great girl, and it's uh, nice to hear from someone who's just been through it recently, too, that yep. she's close enough, um, you know, when she went through it, that she can really add a lot of perspective for us. She's, she's a blast. Absolutely. Well, we'll be having Reese on um, a lot more times in the future. Uh, but we have a listener's email to um, read this week, Heather. Um, a great email from a listener in Sweden, actually, just down the road from you. And yeah, Anne, my neighbor. Yeah, neighbor. Anne <laughs> Erikila, and uh, Anne, I hope I've pronounced your last name right, Erikila. Uh, she, first of all, wants to tell us that we have a fantastic radio show. She really loves it. So thank you very much, Anne, for that. And she has a training question. Uh, for you, Heather, how do you train a horse that's very spooky? Some horses may be quiet and working great at home, but are spooky at new places. How does that affect the judges' scores if a horse spooks in the show arena? Do you advise to go to shows just to train and just don't bother about the low points one gets, or do you think it's better to train the horse to a really high level before entering shows? She says she's very competitive and wants to win every time. So that's great. <laughs> I'd like to hear that, Anne. But it's uh, quite impossible if you just go go to a show to train the horse, if, uh, and 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 that's what I think she's she's uh, ta- tackling right now is getting over that spookiness and being able to be competitive. Um, so, what's your thoughts on that, Heather? Well, um, if we start at the beginning of her questions, um, if you had to train a horse that's very spooky, um, where we got to decide why it's spooky. Um, of course, you always have to start with, you know, if there's a chance that the horse is feeling some kind of pain in their body, and sometimes the pain can be shooting pain that can cause a horse to spook, um, you know, whereas a dull pain might not cause that. But you might um, you might get that on something, you know, that where it's a shooting pain of some sort. So first thing is you probably got to check out that your saddle fits, the horse's teeth are right, that, you know, maybe go through with a, a chiropractor or veterinarian, something like that, just to make sure there's no pain causing the spookiness. Um, on the other hand, spookiness is completely natural to horses because they're prey animals uh, by nature. And if they didn't keep that kind of reactivity and that kind of adrenaline shooting through their body when something was scary, they probably wouldn't survive in the wild. So it's normal for them to spook. Um, the fact that she says uh, some horses, and maybe she's talking about hers, uh, are quiet working at home, but then they're spooky at new places. Um, the horse probably is just on a really normal level spooky. Maybe in this case, not from a pain, that, because that would probably be happening at home. Um, the fact that it's working quiet at home, but then new places of spookiness comes out, uh, makes me think that the hor- that particular kind of problem needs more, uh, that horse needs to have more something that draws his attention during the work so that when he is in a new situation where there's something on the fence or an umbrella or a dog or whatever it is, that if the horse's attention goes out uh, externally, that something that the rider can do communicating between the rider and the horse can draw the horse's attention back in. So I think in training then, she says the horse works quietly and, you know, relaxed. And that's, of course, very nice. And it's a, it's a quality we have to have, relaxation in our horses. Um, you, she, you know, I might suggest that she um, does things that are more challenging at home to find out, you know, what challenges the horse and what sort of things get the horse to really think about her, really think about his own body. 
um, you know, what he has to do to stay in balance during some more difficult movements, what he has to do with his own body to get more um, quickly reactive, to change directions, to be ready for the next thing she asks for. That kind of thing can really get the horse in internal and not thinking so much about what's happening in the corners of the arena or on the fence or the umbrella. So I would kind of suggest working differently at home. Um, almost more than going out to where the spooky things are and then having to deal with it then. I think the work has to be done at home first to say, I know when my horse is really focusing internally at home. Um, this is also my training tip of the day. And, and it's um, interesting that this listener email came in on the same day that I was having a student today work on the same thing in her lesson. And, you know, um, it, it's it's important to you know challenge your horses enough to know what's happening in their brain. And a lot of riders are thinking what ha- what's happening physically in the horse. Of course, you have to think about that too. But really, what is happening in the horse's brain? What is he thinking? You know, if he had a little bubble over his head like they have in a comic book, and the character's um, words are in that bubble, if you if you imagine one over your horse's head. What are the words in there? Imagine what he's thinking. Imagine what's coming out if he could talk. Um, and and that's, that's really telling sometimes. And a really quiet, relaxed, supple horse might be really super, but then um, maybe not enough to say, well, if something jumped out of, the, out of the door right now, would I be able to gain his attention again really quickly? Do I have the skills? Have we repeated um, that practice enough to say, I can get your attention when I want it? Horses will spook. They do it by nature. You can't get upset with them for it. You just have to know how to draw them back to you. Um, so then the next question was, the, you know, how does it affect the judge's scores? Well, it's definitely going to take your scores down. Um, for that particular movement where the horse does make the error jumping away or even just you know, hollowing his back and raising his head is definitely going to lower your score because you're going to lose connection, you're going to lose rhythm, you're going to lose things that are important to get your scores. And then also in the collective marks, you know, the submission of the horse, then um, the, that's at times three, I think it is now. Or at least at times two. So your scores are going to are great will greatly suffer for that. Um, hopefully you can make it up in other parts of your test if it happens. Um, and then um, let's see. Her, do you advise to go to shows and train and just don't bother about the low points? Um, well, like I said earlier, I would advise more that you change your training at home before you get to the show where the stress is doubled by the new environment. Um, learn how to get your horse's attention by more challenging things at home and know what he's thinking. Know that you have his attention and not just half of it because it's so easy for him that he can daydream in the other half of his brain. You've got to have him completely. So then when you go to a competitive situation or, or a distracting situation, you've already practiced how to keep him. So I would do that work at home and then I would go out. You still might have moments where you get a spook here and there, but um, it's testing your training at home to be out in the show and see how he does then when things are scary. Um, so is that training to a high level before entering shows? Um, I think so. A level, you know, going up the levels to me is a matter of how much, first of all, weight you get to move the horse back on the hind legs and, um, and how much focus and attention and work ethic you have. So that is sort of a definition of being at a higher level of trainings. So, um, you know, I hope that I hope I can hear back from Anna uh, when she maybe listens to that advice and um, works on that a bit, and we can see 
if that uh, helps her out with a spooky horse. And um, I think that if I can just go right from that into the training tip of the day or of the week, um, it, it's also to do with, you know, training spooky horses or just horses that are different from uh, one environment to the next. And, again, making sure that there's no pain causing the spookiness because, you know, horses can spook out of evasion or if work starts to get hard, they can they can react uh, sometimes with spookiness. Um, it's not an unusual problem. And as long as you're pretty sure, uh, very sure, that it's not caused by anything health anything health-related, then you have to say, uh, is it happening on a regular basis or is it just once in a while? And I think if it's just once in a while, it, there, of course, could be quirky things and legitimate reasons for horses to spook. It is a natural reaction. It's how they save themselves in nature. Um, that as much as possible, if it's just a fluke thing and every now and then they spook, you just keep riding with as little reaction to it as possible Um and if it's happening on a more regular basis and it's quite a problem, it's really uh, stumping you, then uh, I, w- I like to consider, you know, if the horse spooks, what is the rider's response? And some of the common things are, one of the most common things is that the rider responds with fear because if the horse spooks, of course, they might get off balance. The rider might get off balance and that causes a fear reaction in a lot of riders. Or the rider might think the horse um, then takes further advantage of the moment and then does something dangerous Um, or just on a low level if the rider reacts with fear and isn't able to um, lower the fear pretty quickly of course the horse is going to pick up on the the fear response from the rider and you know a horse should be thinking that the rider is their fearless leader or you know the leader of the herd and whatever the leader of the herd does the rest of the herd does so if the rider reacts in fear, the horse is going to learn to also react in fear. And, and I see this pretty often, actually, um, that, that that tends to be the cause. And then with those kind of situations, you can often see another rider, maybe with a, a less fear, sort of innate, innately less fear, get on the same horse and all of a sudden the horse doesn't spook. That is, that is so, sort of often the case, um, that the horse is really just reading off of the rider's reaction to also tense up. And where riders tense up can be really subtle it can be the rider holds their breath they can gasp they can clench the hand they can grip with the legs they can just think oh no what's going to happen and lose the the mental authority that i know what will happen and we will go on the horse reads those things and there's subtle things and the horses can really pick them up so really getting to the bottom of if the rider reacts with fear is important um and also then next thing is do the rider react in anger Uh, which normally follows fear. Um, And that can be very unfair to the horse. We shouldn't punish our horses for spooking. There's no sense in doing that. It only creates, you know, if the spook is like creating a ripple in the water, then reacting with anger only creates more ripples in the water, and then you have more evasions and more problems to deal with. So anger is just nowhere near um, appropriate, although a lot of riders have trouble um, avoiding it because it often follows fear. Um, uh, your horses spook by nature they should be confidently dealt with and the rider should stay calm and then assert themselves in the way that they want the horse to react um, after that um, some spooking then causes riders to just avoid situations and then in that sense the horse has sort of been in control if they spook in a certain corner the rider just might not ever go down there again and then the horse has essentially said well rider we just work on the other end of the arena and that can go on the horse can get pretty clever and say hmm 
now I know that I can determine what we do if I spook here, if I spook there. And maybe they don't think about it in such human terms, but I think it, it does happen when the, when the writer can um, respond with avoidance and then spooking can become growing into a bigger and bigger problem, um, which is also sort of the same as the writer compromising on writability. You know, maybe if the horse has to take a bit more balance on a half halt in a certain situation and then the horse responds with something evasive that he realizes he's gotten away from the rider and then he spooks, then the rider says, oh, well, I'll never ask for that half halt again. So um, compromises and avoidances are, are tricky too. Of course, you don't want to just... Um, put on a, a brave hat that's not honestly brave in the rider and just get into something that you shouldn't. But, um, you know, progressing through or proceeding through something that is a, a spooky situation in a way that you stay very mental about it, you stay very calm about it, um, really try to process what exactly is happening, um, give the horse confidence in as many situations as you can that if the horse wants to flee and run away, that you won't that you'll stay sitting on him, you'll stay um, calm and um, uh, confident that you know what you want him to do next. Uh, as if you have a plan, then more than likely he will learn to also trust that you have a plan and he will continue to let you be the the leader that he needs you to be. Um, so, you know, it always sounds easier in words than it is to do, but it is um, something that should be in riders' heads when they're dealing with a spooky horse. And um, that is pretty much, I think, we're wrapping up this training tip of the week, um, although we could go on into, you know, like, subcategories of it. I think that's, um, <laughs> that's a, a good wrap on basic training spooky horses kind of, uh, kind of theory. Well, that was very, very insightful, Heather. I, I certainly enjoyed it. And I think one of the things we should add, you know, with riders, when you say the word fear, they may not always be honest that they're about their fear, that it, it may be a lack of confidence. It may be a very subtle element. They may think, see, fear is a four-letter word. <laughs> you know, but it, mm-hmm. it, is, it can be so subtle that, you know, something uh, alerts you, alarms you, and you're not as confident as you could be and as relaxed as you could be. Um, so while they might might be in denial that, oh, gosh, I'm not fearful, mm. I'm not fearful of my horse, and uh, mm. I think it, there, there may be some subtleties to that that, uh, that creep in, and, and maybe the rider would deny that for, uh, you know, just, just for their own... Uh, self-confidence you're, you're totally right and um and it's not always just a um, an ego thing i mean sometimes it's just an awareness thing i mean mm-hmm. fear can be at a level of simply in your mind going uh-oh what's going to happen that right there the horse can i i know they can read um just saying i don't know what's going to happen that already is not being a confident leader so if your horse is acting, and maybe you do know something is going to happen, you have to know, well, even if that happens, we're still going to do this and this and this. And so just saying, I don't know what's going to happen, can right there be a little sign to the horse of fear. It doesn't have to be something as obvious as really clenching or tightening or gasping. You know, it can be very subtle, just what's in your head. Yes. Horses are sensitive. <laughs> yeah, they sure are. Well, that was really, really insightful, Heather. And, and 
I, you know, we're loving your tips, uh, and I think we're getting good reader response here, audience response, and uh, so keep those questions coming to Heather. She loves to get those questions, don't you, Heather? Well, I do, and I mean, I, I usually get inspired by my own writing and teaching, you know, for these weekly tips, but it does help to also have listener emails, and um, so then I know more and more about what our listeners are um, needing to hear and, you know, what they're struggling with in their own writing, and that makes it even more um, exciting for me because I want to give uh, you who are listening um, what you want to hear. So keep them coming. All right. Well, thank you, Heather. Well, we're just about plain running out of time this week, Heather. So um, we want to remind everybody that they can follow the show notes on dressageradio.com. And remember to go to equestrianlife.com and join the social network there, which is the, um, the official social network of the Horse Radio Network. And also, as I mentioned earlier, you can follow the videos from Young Riders Championships, again, on equestrianlife.com. If you want to leave a message for us on our voicemail, uh, go to our website and call 270-803-0025. You can also email either Heather or myself. That's heather at horseradionetwork.com or chris at horseradionetwork.com. Don't forget to uh, visit our fan page on Facebook as well and to follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. Again, you can always go to Heather's blogs because Heather will keep you up to date on what's happening in her world at heatherblitz.info. And you have a clinic coming up, Heather? I do. I have uh, five, actually. They're all on one tour in the States uh, starting on August 20th. And um, you can find those on my website um, under heatherblitz.info under my clinic's uh, schedule page. And come by and audit those. And I think they may be full by now, but you can definitely come by and audit and get lots of uh, information from those. So hope to see you there. Wonderful. Thanks, Heather. Uh, well, we'll talk a bit more about those clinics as we approach them and obviously get an account from you afterwards as to how they went. Well, we want to thank again our sponsors, equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products. They can be found at kppusa.com. So uh, that wraps, wraps it up for this week, Heather. So until we meet again next week... Good luck and mind your writing.